I've been doing these episodes about all this neurotic human shit, and on the last couple episodes, you know, there's been barking, and I've kind of hear Batman. See, this is his episode, so I I hope he does vocalize. I hope he does express himself here on this hot mic. Uh, he's right now we're playing tug of war, but this is his episode because I I felt bad the last couple episodes have involved me chastising him on record, on record. When the, when the record button has been hit, everybody in the world, everybody in the entire world on the world stage can hear me chastising him for doing what God intended for him to do, which is to bark, to secure the boundaries of this home, and to protect. This is what he does. He makes this very strange growling noise. Let me see. I'm going to move the mic even so that you really hear it. This is a first. This, holding the the mic if it even comes out of the stand. This is, this is a real. Uh, this is an interesting episode. He got. He stopped playing the game because I held the mic in front of him. How is that for an illustration of the way that it's like when the camera's on you and you can't be yourself? It's like you put a mic even to a dog's face and he stops doing what he does. Um. But uh, he's really weirded out about the mic, as we all should be. Um, but anyway, just I felt bad about chastising him, you know, on the last couple episodes. And I haven't talked about my experiences as a first-time dog owner. And I feel like it's it's one of those things where whenever you're new to something, you just want to talk about it. You know, whenever you, you have a new experience, you start doing something. You know, in the last episode, I was talking about when you quit doing something, how you have this tendency to be like, I hated it. I always hated it. I quit drinking, so drinking was always bad. I quit drinking, so nobody should drink. You know, it's very easy to develop that aversion to something that you've pushed out of your life. But in the same way, it's like when something's new, you can't shut up about it. It's like your friend who has a new girlfriend and never... It's like, oh, you know, well, like uh, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn said, you know, and, and that's, it's cute. You know, you should never be mad at someone for doing that. They're excited. They're excited, you know, but it's but it's something that I'm very self-conscious of because I do it all the freaking time. Oh, I started running. I've got to talk about running all the time, even though I've been doing it for a week. I started meditating, I, even though I've only done it once, and i got to tell everybody, you should meditate. You know, it's very easy to do that. I would call that being glib. It's called being glib. And that's a word I learned from Tom Cruise many years ago. When he had his so-called, quote-unquote, I guess so-called. When you say something is so-called, that is quote-unquote. You don't need to say both. That's kind of redundant. But, you know, when you put something in quotes, that's like saying so-called. But when, when Tom Cruise had his so-called public freakout many years ago on Oprah and Matt Lauer, he told Matt Lauer, he's like, you're, you're glib, Matt. You're glib. You're glib, Matt. That's how Tom Cruise sounds. You're glib, Matt. You know, man. Um, Tom Cruise was born in Jamaica and he's such a fucking great actor that he just, he never lets his real accent show um, but he used the word glib he said, Matt, you're glib and I didn't know that word that was my introduction to the word glib and it's become part of my vocabulary since like, pe my friends can attest to this and some of my friends use it as well um, we all were struck. I mean, I'm not even... I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. It's like one of those things where you don't know where the joke begins and ends because 
I learned the word. You hear Batman. He does this growl when we're playing tug of war. Uh, I'm really glad that he's he's got a presence in this episode. That's gonna eventually gonna be about him once I stop talking about Tom Cruise's impact on my vocabulary. But Tom Cruise, glib, he said that, and since then I use that word a lot, and I learned it from Tom Cruise, and I've still never heard better use of it than when Tom Cruise called Matt Lauer glib. And I like Tom Cruise. In addition to being a fan of his movies, at least the, the ones that I that were a foundation of my childhood and all that, including his, his relatively minor role in The Outsiders. You know, he plays Steve Randall, Soda Pop's best friend. He has very few lines. He does a backflip off a car, I believe. Um, but anyway, Tom Cruise, you know, he had this impact on my vocabulary, and I've still never heard anybody use the word glib better than him, and he was attacked for what? Why was Tom Cruise... Why did everybody think Tom Cruise was going crazy? You think about all the scandals that have come out about Hollywood, all of these do-good liberal people who turn out to be sexually abusive, manipulative, full of it, if nothing else, but many of them do horrible things. And then what did Tom Cruise ever do? I know there was some weird stuff with uh, his second wife and kid and Scientology, and I'm not defending Scientology. I don't really think about Scientology one way or another. I could easily see where I could get into that, especially if I if it gave me some kind of power. I could easily see where I would like... If I, if I lived in L.A. and I was an actor, I could totally see myself becoming a Scientologist. But Tom Cruise, you know, I feel like there is something genuine about his interest in Scientology. And, like, if it's true that, you know, they, that his wife was basically under lock and key, I don't approve of that. But I also don't feel like Tom Cruise's beliefs and behavior warrant the level of shit-talking that people have done about him. And I'll always defend Tom Cruise for that reason, um, you know, as it is now. I mean, if something else came out about him, who knows? But I also don't need to have some judgment of these people. I don't need to have some, like, you know, I don't need to make some declaration. I don't need to be constantly weighing the pros and cons and making a list of, like, who these people are and what they are and everything they do. And, yeah, there's some behavior that is, you know, beyond reproach. But I've always liked Tom Cruise, and I liked him more when he got wild and stopped playing the game. And when I also found out, too, that one of those people who quit Scientology said that the top people in Scientology, including, like, Miscavige or whatever his name is, uh, that they would drink whiskey privately without Tom Cruise and watch, like, the in Because Scientology does these in-depth interviews with their own members— it has a name. I don't know what it is. Like I said, I don't, I'm not one of these people who like cares about Scientology. I've, I've seen some things and heard some things, and I found it interesting. But I've stayed pretty neutral to it, even though, like, yeah, their practices are probably not great. There's probably some ethical issues there. It sure sounds like it. It's also not my job to investigate or make judgments. What am I, a detective or a judge? Um, but when I found out that, like, the leadership of Scientology... Apparently, like, they have these whiskey parties where they drink whiskey and watch Tom Cruise's interviews and make fun of him behind his back. And hearing that made me really sad because, you know, Tom Cruise is such a true believer in Scientology. And I believe David Miscavige was his uh, his best man at his wedding or something like a very close relationship either way. And hearing that they would hang out and uh, 
talk shit about him behind his back drinking whiskey was sad to me. Yet I realized, like, how many times have my friends and I done that about our friends, and then, you know, especially when we were young and stuff like that? How many times did like uh, like friends of mine gossip about me behind my back? I mean, you know, it's it, you know it happens to you. You've done it to other people. So maybe the Scientologists talking shit about Tom Cruise is just what people do when they're not feeling when they're not in harmony you know but anyway uh, I learned the word glib from Tom Cruise and I've used it ever since and I still cite his use of glib as the penultimate example like if I wrote a dictionary I would and I you know you're you're putting it in a sentence you're, you're showing how glib is used in a sentence I would cite your glib Matt or whatever the quote is I don't know if that's the exact quote. The point is, is Matt Lauer is glib, and he turned out to be one of those fucking people. Let's get into that for a second, since we're talking shit, since we're talking about people talking shit. That's like, I was talking about how there's all these other people in Hollywood who turned out to be scumbags, and Tom Cruise, because he has weird beliefs, and he, like, jumped on a couch, and he... You know, said he doesn't believe in the in in psych, psychiatry and medication and all this stuff. He got treated like a pariah, and yet the guy who interviewed him turned out to be one of these abusers, one of these weird, you know, sexual deviants. And it's like, there we go. Could it, could I give a better example? Yeah, you're glib, Matt. But no, I, I I have nothing against Matt Lauer, and it's not my job to judge him. But he is one of those people. Uh, but anyway, glibness. It's very easy when something is new in your life to be glib about it. And this show itself is a testament to being glib because you can't really do any kind of t- recorded talk, any kind of radio, podcasting. You can't really do any of it if you're not glib. So, uh, you know, just doing this is a testament to what it is to be glib. And... uh Having a dog, all I want to talk about sometimes is just like what it's like to have a dog, even though it's been like two months or a month or something since I've officially had one. But I have learned a lot, you know, and it's it's one of those things, too. It's, it's like when something is new to you that other people have had their entire lives. Like how many people have had dogs their entire lives? They know all about how dogs think and behave and all of that. But for me, like not only did I never have a dog but I was both afraid of dogs and I developed this stupid identity throughout my childhood that went well into adulthood until like a couple of years ago where I was not a dog person. I'm just not a dog person. You know, I had that attitude. I'm a cat person. I've got to define myself. I've got to have, you know, just, just being a living, breathing person isn't enough. I've got to really get deep with my preferences. My preferences have got to be deep trenches, and I've got to keep them forever. I remember, like, at work complaining about a dog once. And that, to be fair, I mean, it was like there was this dog in the office, like, shitting and pissing on everything. And it was just, I was like, you know, I don't want to come into work and deal with this. But I also was in a place where I was, like, just not a dog person either. So it's like my empathy was lower than it should or could have been as well. But, like, yeah, there's all these people who have grown up with dogs, and I say, I just learned this thing about dogs. And they're like, yeah, that's what I've known since I was six years old. But you have to have tolerance for people's glibness. You have to have tolerance for things that are new to people that you've known all along. You know, it's just one of those things. 
So let's get into like you know Batman. He's a Chihuahua. Uh, he, he used to be known more as Batty. He was named Batman by his previous owner, my close friend. And uh, but we used to call him Batty more. I've known him since he was a puppy, and now I've kind of you know it, I've come around to calling him Batman more often. Uh, I still like Batty. And, of course, whenever you have a pet, you develop all kinds of inside names. That you only call them when it's just you two. Um, and so there's that as well. Uh, but he's very well behaved. He's a, he's a very good boy, as the phrase goes. And that's one thing I've learned is there's just like, sometimes there's just nothing else to say but good boy. You know, and he's looking right at me, and he is being a very good boy. But sometimes that's just, it, it's one of those things that just fits. You know, I don't want to like talk like a typical dog owner, but it's like you learn that, you know, just the some phrases, that's just what you say. You know, you just call him a good boy when he does good and it, it feels right. It makes sense. It's time honored. And uh, but one thing that was really that blew my mind about him was delayed gratification, because my idea of a dog is that they just devour they just devour anything that you give them, garbage, shoes, any kind of food, any treat. And that's true, I think, for the most part. But one thing that's very interesting for him is he has these little heart treats. And they're like these little tiny treats that are shaped like a heart. And I, I know he likes them, but he hides them. And I know dogs bury bones, and that's a thing. Like, there is this, it's like one of those things everybody's always known. Well, of course, dogs bury their bones. They stash stuff. They don't just go for everything that's in their face. They do have some kind of discipline, even. And it, it's interesting where he hides these little heart treats. And I know if they were his favorite treats, or if they were meat, or something like that, that he would go for them right away. Because if I give him meat, it is gone and just, it's too fast. Like, I try to time it where, like, I have my meat completely ready for me to eat by the time I give him his. And I give him his, and I sit down really quick. And by the time I sit down, he's already at my legs. He's already finished his his meat, and he's already looking for mine. And he's not a bad beggar, but he hangs around just in case. And sometimes I indulge him, which people... Might not recommend, but he's small. I, you know, I don't think it's too big of a deal. Um, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, if, if I give him meat or something, you know, he's not going to stash his meat, and he shouldn't anyway. I don't want meat hidden around my house. But he hides these heart treats, and they'll be there for long periods of time. I mean, days and weeks, and then one, and he, and he likes to be around me too. That's one thing that's very interesting in contrast to a cat. You know, my my last cat, Rosie, died just over a year ago, and so I haven't had a, a pet since then, but it's one thing that's very different from a cat, you know, along with still kind of like expecting him to purr. That's something that's new to me, is, is I still kind of expect a purr that doesn't come, but uh, the other thing is him wanting to be in my presence like all the time, whereas with a cat, you know, like Rosie loved to be around me. She often wanted to be on my lap. Her brother Simon, when he was alive, did too. They like to be like kind of around me, but like if I go downstairs and she's asleep or she's resting, she's not going to follow. She's going to find her own spots and she's going to crash out. But with him, he could be in a deep sleep. But if he detects me going downstairs, even if I'm just bringing stuff up and down as part of some kind of chore, 
he goes up and down with me, and I feel bad sometimes because it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm coming right back up or I'm going right back down, but just wanting to be around me, you know, that's a new thing. You know, you have this, uh, he's, he's a little black chihuahua, what's called a deer-headed chihuahua, and uh, that means he's got more of the elongated snout. Like, his head actually looks like a deer, and it, it, there's a funny story there when... Before he officially moved in with me, he was spending basically weekends with me, a few days here and there. And uh, the first time he stayed with me, though, I was, every time I would go, like, like in the same way that he follows me, even if I just go across the room a lot of times, he's going to watch. He wants to know what I'm up to. And every time he, he would have his ears up and his head would be up, and he just wanted to see what I was doing, and it really reminded me of coming across a deer in the woods, where... You know, just no matter where you go, if you come across a deer, they're frozen and they're just watching you. And I was like, holy shit, he looks like a little black deer. And and so I started calling him that. I was like, you're a little deer. And I told his owner that, and she was like, well, you know, his breed is called a deer-headed chihuahua. It's actually called that. And I was like, well, duh. You know, if if somebody else didn't already see it, you know, I mean, I'm not a revolutionary here. I'm not changing the dog game. Like, of course, somebody else noticed. You know, in the same way that I'm a first-time dog owner at 34 years old, you know, people have had chihuahuas like this forever. And, you know, I'm not the first person who noticed that they look like deer. But I was just, I felt very validated when I heard that his breed is actually called deer-headed. And, yeah, he does look like a tiny little black deer. And I've long thought about that. I've long thought about how deer look like dogs, which people don't really... Because you think of them more like a horse or something. You think of deer being more horse-like or uh, that sort of animal, whatever you call that, because of their bodies. Uh, but really, when you think about them, they look like a dog with hooves. Kind of a, you know, a lean dog, a big lean dog with hooves. And I guess the gentleness of deer, you know, the grace of deer, we don't really associate dogs with that. But still, they, they really do resemble each other. And, you know, my Chihuahua Batman, he really does look like a deer. And it turns out he's um, been classified as such by many people. Deer-headed. But the delayed gratification blew my mind. Because even though these aren't necessarily his favorite treats, and he'll go really long periods of time without eating them, they're still important to him. He values them. And I think of these particular treats, these little heart treats, more like currency than a, tr than a food treat. It's almost like it's his money. Because if he even sees me, because he'll hide them in corners and behind things, and he's very deliberate about it, and he keeps tabs on it. And if I even look, like if he, if he sees me looking at his treat, if it's hidden... Next time I go there, it's gone, and it's hidden somewhere else. And I'll, I've watched him do it, too, where if he sees that I see it, if he knows that I know where the treat is, he will go get it and take it somewhere else. So it's very cute, but it's, you know, it's very neat to know that, to know that dogs have that. They have that capacity of delayed gratification, you know, and with some things, and we're that way too. You know, we have our delayed gratification, but there are some things that you just can't resist. I, I keep using the example of Doritas, you know, the feminine for Dorito. You know, I think Doritas should be feminine. Dorita. Which, what does that even mean? What does Dorito mean? Let's not get into it. 
Let's not get into it. Um, but you know, in the same way, like I can't. In the same way that he's gonna he's gonna eat that meat, he's not gonna save meat. He's not gonna save most of his favorite treats for later. He's gonna have them right away. You know, a Dorito. I'm you know, a bag of Doritos in my house is gonna be gone. It's just gonna be gone. And whereas there's other treats though that I can wait. There are other treats that I do stash. So, you know, we're the same way. While we can practice delayed gratification, you know, we're the same way. And some things we just can't wait, while other things we can. And so that's interesting just to see that in dogs, that they do have this sense of discipline, and they do have sort of a a ranking system for... They have preferences, and of course they do. Of course they have preferences, and... uh, with that, though, it's like I, I've been surprised sometimes where I'll give him Texas taffy, which it kind of looks like, you know, dry beef jerky and God knows what it's made of, probably like the trachea of some livestock. And uh, I've seen him stash that, even though he loves it. That's one of those things that he just if I give that to him, it's just it's usually gone, you know, within minutes because he just loves that Texas taffy. But I was shocked, like, I gave him Texas Taffy one night, and I thought he ate it really quickly because it just disappeared, and then a few days later, I was doing something, and I see him run across the hallway with it in his mouth, so I was like, wow, he hid his Texas Taffy for later, and that is amazing, because he loves Texas Taffy. But yeah, getting into that, like, what these things are made of, uh, quite a few years ago, my buddy Nick got a dog... And I was blown away. He, he was We were hanging out, and his dog was chewing what's called a bully stick. And Nick was like, you know that bully stick over there? You see that bully stick? Uh, that's made out of a bull's penis. That's how my friend sounds. We grew up like a few blocks from each other in the same town. But he has that accent, whereas I have... Uh, I sound like this. My My original accent is like this. But I grew up, you know, just a few blocks from this guy, my my lifelong, you know, best buddy Nick, and he somehow sounds like this. He somehow sounds like this, and I sound, yo, I sound like this, you know. So uh, who knows? It just, show, it just shows you that, you know, we just have accents in our DNA. In the same way that Tom Cruise's natural accent is Jamaican, but he puts on a standard American TV accent, a news anchor accent, just for his career. You know, it's interesting how we all have different accents based on our um, our ancestral DNA. If we could all talk the way we wanted to talk, that's how it would be. But unfortunately, we live in this oppressive, omnipresent society. This giant conspiracy called society. It tells me I can't talk in my natural accent. Tell me I can't talk. You can't talk that way. You can't talk that way. You'll never get a career. You'll never, you'll never, <laughs> they won't even let you buy a bag of Doritos if you're talking your natural accent, because it's society. Um, but, uh, and speaking of that, like, one thing, too, that I've noticed is, like, doing accents, he's not a fan. He doesn't know what the fuck I'm doing, and he, he knows something's up. So if I'm doing accents around the house, I think he's gotten a little more used to it. But he knows something is up when I'm doing an accent. Like, something is wrong with this guy. And, uh, 
So, so that's a thing too. They're very sensitive to that, but very smart. You know, they are very smart. All those things people say, all those things people have known forever. He's very intelligent. You know, just to you know, he's been trained well. He's he's not like not militaristically trained, but his previous owner did a really good job. You know, he's good around the house. He doesn't know how to get along with dogs or other children or or children. He doesn't know how to get along with with other dogs or children. Um, and so he barks at them, but uh, I'm fine with that. You know, I don't plan on really... I'd like him to have some dog friends, but I'm not looking to go to dog parks. And with a chihuahua, you know, you got some flexibility. You know, you don't have to walk him as much, although I plan on walking him. I, I do walk him a lot. I haven't been able to take him out because I've been under the weather. But, um, you know, he doesn't have the same requirements necessarily that a larger dog has, which is nice. I feel like it's a good fit for me. I don't need a big dog around the house. I just, I just don't, I don't need a big dog in my life. I feel like I'm at that point where it's like a small dog is perfect for my life. Um, this particular small dog too. You know, I didn't just want a dog. I wanted this guy. I wanted Batman in my life. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, He's trained very well, you know, and, you know, he does bark and he is territorial, but I like that. You know, I, I do like the idea that if, if anybody's snooping, they hear a creature right away. They, they hear life. They hear something that says, get out, get away. You know, um, I like that. Uh, but what was I getting into here? Um, I guess this is just a free-for-all. This is just a, a doggy free-for-all. This is just a... a Anything, anything goes here while we're talking dogs, you know. But I still wouldn't consider myself a full-on dog person, you know. I still wouldn't, like, say that I'm a dog person. It's just that silly idea that I had that I wasn't a dog person is gone. And uh, actually, his his previous owner had another dog many years ago named Dolly Parton, who actually is the reason I, the first dog I ever bonded with. And it was, it felt like it was some sort of, through some divine grace that it was a dog named Dolly Parton. And maybe the name made me gravitate toward her. Maybe the dog helped me accept, or maybe the name helped me accept the dog, but I feel like it was all things. It was everything associated with that experience allowed me to bond with Dolly. And, uh, but, uh, Batman came from the same home and... Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's very pleasant and it's different. And if you were to ask me, like, did you ever imagine in 2020, when you're 34 years old, that you know your mom would have passed away, you there'd be some disease sweeping the land, shutting down everything, and you'd just have this dog with you who'd be your day in and day out companion? And of course not. You can never predict these things. You know, um, it's the cliche quote, you know, uh, when you make plans, God laughs, you know, as people like to say, but there's a lot of truth to that. And um, a lot of that, beyond that, like, you know, when you think you know what you are, God laughs too. Or somebody laughs. Maybe you end up laughing. Hopefully. I mean, that's what happens to me when I find now, like, you know, where there used to be some resistance you know, when I felt like I was losing something that I thought was an important part of myself, there used to be that resistance. 
But now I feel like when it starts happening, like I do end up just finding this great humor in it. You know, it is just funny. And I, I find my situation right now very funny. And I think in many ways, like having a little dog here, um, it is, uh, it's perfect. You know, I, it is, it's perfect to be in this lockdown with a little buddy and he's entertaining. And I, something that is unfortunate, just the way life goes is I find that I don't laugh as often as I would like. And I, I manage to entertain myself. Like I have friends who make me crack up. You know, I'm, I'm very um, grateful for the people in my life because I know people who just make me laugh. But unfortunately, just at this point, it's like there's not a lot of like content. There's not a lot. There's no TV, like sitcoms. It's, it's very awkward. Like with if I, it, you know, if, I, if you're dating or something and it's like, you know, some girl's like, oh, let's, I got it. You, you've never seen Parks and Rec? And I, I've still never seen that, but it's like you'll meet someone who's like, "You've never seen the the Office? You never seen the Office?" And they like you watch it with them, and you're not laughing. And I'm not saying these things aren't funny. It's not like I'm saying these things aren't like well written or they're not funny or anything. But it's just like it takes. It's not that it takes a lot. It just takes the right timing and circumstance and just whatever. There has to be something almost magical to make me erupt in laughter. And usually sitcoms don't do it. A lot of things don't do it. And it's something that I don't feel deprived of, but I just know that it would be better to laugh more. And having him here, like, I'm cracking up all the time. Like, he makes me laugh constantly. You know, we started playing this game where I reach my hand down the couch cushion, and he's convinced something's down there. I've convinced him that something he can't get to lives under the couch cushion and I have to be very careful because he's tried digging into the couch cushion a couple times and I don't want him to tear it up but I do want to keep this game going because it's serious he, he takes it so seriously the second I put my hand down there or I'll make like scratching noises under the cushion and even better um he's just completely torn apart this lamb chop toy and he ripped the uh he ripped the the squeaker out of it this plastic squeaker and for whatever reason, he responds to this squeaker way differently than he would any of his other squeaky toys. But if I put that squeaker under the cushion or in, in the side of the couch where it's kind of muffled, and he's, and, and he's already freaking out about the couch, and if I put the squeaker down there, it is just madness. You know, it is just, you know, ears up on the hunt. He's surgical. He's like a surgeon trying to get this thing. And it just, I mean, and I, I went too far with it about a week ago where I put the squeaker down the the back corner of the couch and I stuffed my hand really deep and then I started flailing and acting like something was getting my hand and like, you know, making noises like shrieking or something. And he did, he ran over as if, you know, he was on the hunt like he did. But when he saw that, like, I was distressed and, like, you know, my something had my hand, he he let out this really high-pitched yelp. Like, and this all happened in the span of a few seconds, like, where he was just, he, he was just, like, shocked and, and worried. 
And I felt so terrible because it's like, I know that's real to him. I know that like he thought something had my hand and he's protective of me. He's protective of this territory as well. So I was like, ah, I can't do that to him as fun as it was. Like I couldn't stop laughing for hours. Uh, but you know, I was like, I can't do that to him. I can't let him think that something is getting me because I, I want that to be when that when that really happens, you know, on that day when something is really under the couch that gets me, I don't want a, a boy who cried wolf uh, situation, you know, and there's a reason why that story is true. And God, that story is true. You know, the boy who cried wolf is is so accurate just to go on a tangent, a non-dog tangent. I mean, you really see that play out where it's, you see it politically where where people are like constantly every time you know somebody they don't like in politics does something they're just oh my god it's the biggest deal in the world then when that person actually does something you don't take these people as seriously because you're like oh you freak out about everything and you see this with social politics as well just social behavior where it's it's like you're constantly talking about how how somebody's always conspiring and how somebody's always doing this and that and conspiracy theorists too i mean they're a great example where it's like they're always talking about these bogus conspiracy theories and then when an actual one pops up it's like you don't take it seriously because these people are always talking about it so you know the boy who cried wolf you can't can't deny that you can't deny that phenomenon and you can't become that with your own wolf with your own dog you can't freak your own dog out and like pretend that things are devouring your hand your hand under the couch cushion or else one day he's just gonna go you know what no I'm, i i know you're tricking me because he is really smart and i mean i've learned that already in the short time he's lived here where he loves his carrier you know my cats hated their carriers he loves his carrier and i have to keep it elevated i have to keep it up on a counter so that he, he doesn't just spend all his time in it and it's a good trick, though, because like sometimes if he, if I'm taking him for a walk, sometimes he he's as he's gotten more comfortable here, he likes to play this hiding game. He loves walking. But when when he knows and he sees, you know, psychic like I, I might not have done anything to get ready for the walk. But if I stand up and I'm intending to go get the stuff ready to take him for a walk, he just knows and he starts hiding. Because he loves this game of like, and being a chihuahua, he gets very cold and he also looks very cute in clothes. So clothes are often an important part of the walking ritual. And uh, he, of course, hides so I can't put his clothes on him. And uh, so I started tricking him where he hides. And like, But like I said, he's psychic. Like, I... I might not have done a single thing to get ready for the walk, but the second I stand up, he knows my intention. He can sense it. And he starts hiding. And that's the only time he does it. It's not like he does that normally. But he, in order to trick him, you know, to get him out of hiding so that I can grab him and put his little clothes on him and his harness and all that, I will bring his carrier down and put it on the ground because he can't resist it. He cannot resist his carrier. So if I put the carrier on the ground, he runs out and jumps into it. And I have to do it quick because he'll get into that thing so quick. And then it's even harder to get him ready for the walk. But uh, he learned, though, that it was a trick. Within a, I did it a couple times, and then by the third time, he saw me put the carrier down, and he looked like I could tell he wanted to get in the carrier, 
but he stayed in hiding because he knew that it was a trick. And so he learns very, very quickly. He learns what's a trick and what's not. And, you know, he's very well behaved, but I've just, as some sort of militaristic measure to assert what little dominance I have, you know, I make him sit before I give him a treat. And he, you know, I don't think he used to have to sit at his last house. He's been trained to sit, but I don't think that he had to sit in order to get a treat. But he learned really quickly. Like, it was like maybe two times I made him sit in order to get his treat. And from now on, every time I even just reach in the bag of treats, he sits. He knows that that's part of it. So it's interesting how quickly they learn when they're being tricked and how quickly they learn the protocol of receiving treats. The treat protocol. So, uh, needless to say, he's a good little soldier. A good little soldier. More of a soldier than I am. And I think I'd be, like, bouncing off the walls right now if he weren't here with me. I mean, it, you, you can hear the way I am already. And there are times where I'll be really spinning my wheels. And then uh, I just, you know, I'll be, I'll, he's a reminder. He's a reminder. Keep your head clear. Don't overthink it. You know, he's a good reminder of that and the fact that, you know, he is so funny. All of these things are very healthy. Having a dog is healthy. This is this is me being glib. This is me telling everybody something they already know, that having a dog is healthy. And you hear that, but until you actually have one, you don't really know. And it, It's all those things, you know. It, it's all those things that you can only really learn through experience those things that you have to experience for yourself and then when you experience them you become one of those people who's like hey everybody did you ever hear did you know what a dog is let me tell you what a dog is did you know that dogs hide the treats did you know that dogs can learn you know it only takes a couple times of tricking a dog before they learn did you know that they uh they understand treat protocol real quick. You, know, you end up learning these things that are obvious to every dog owner ever, but it's fun. It's a, it's a very fun process. And in addition to, you know, wanting to find more things that, you know, just make me, you know, let loose and laugh. You know, it's also just being able to have fun. Because, you know, I have my own ways of having fun, but I, th I think it's good to, to have... Uh, you know, just some basic versions of just good old fun. Because that's what having a dog has been for me. You know, it's, you know, not to say it's always easy or, or all that, you know, and I'm very early in on this process of being a dog owner. But, you know, it does bring just a lot of just good old fun into your life. And that is so valuable. Uh, that is just so valuable. But, uh, you know, I got to be careful, though. You know, I, I don't want to... I don't want him to think that my hand is being devoured. I don't want to stress him out. I don't want to force him to move his treats around, even though it's very cute. You know, it's very fun to, like, go over. Like, I like, sometimes I like to go over and, like, I'll, I'll know where one of his treats is stashed. And when I know he's watching me, I'll just kind of, like, loom over his treat and look right at it and then look at him. But then it's going to force him to move the treat, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to make him do unnecessary work. It's like switching banks. You know, it's like making somebody... It's like telling somebody, like, I have your debit card number. I found out your, the PIN number to your bank account, to your debit card. 
it's like threatening somebody with that. You know, going and looking, like letting him know that I know where his treats are hidden is very much like telling somebody you have the pin number to their debit card because they're going to change it just to be safe. Even if they completely trust you. I mean, it could be your brother or your sister or your best friend. If you were to say to them, I know the password to your email. I know the, I know the password to your emails. I know the, the pin number to your... Uh, uh, I know the pin number to your debit card. You know, if you were to say that to even your best friend or your brother, your sister, your mother, it's like they're going to change it just to be safe. They're going to change it, you know? Uh, so it's just one of those funny things where it's like, as entertaining as, as it is, I got to not harass him. You know, I got to not harass him. Although I think being a pet owner, and I, I don't even like to, I don't like the terms like daddy or like, you know, I've always felt weird going back to when I had my cats. Like, I never felt comfortable with people saying, oh, you're their daddy. You know, they're your kids. I, I just don't see it that way. I don't, I'm not really into that modern, like, and it's funny that it coincides with, like, birth rates going down. This whole new thing of people referring to their pets as their kids. Has that always been a thing? I feel like it's the product of people not having kids. It shows you that there is this natural need in people where if they don't have real children, they end up calling their pets their children. So it shows you that there's some innate need to be a parent. And, you know, I've gone on at at length on this show about how opposed I am to this whole anti-parenting attitude. And not to say everybody should have kids. I think there's very good reason for people not to have kids in some cases. And I don't know that I will. I don't have plans to. I don't really desire to. But I'm also not going to be one of those people who says, I'm never going to have kids. And then a year later, it's like, oh, I'm having a kid. You know, I'm not going to be one of those people just in case I end up having one. But I'm really not into this whole anti-parenting, anti-breeding attitude that's very prevalent. While I don't like overpopulation, I think the right people should have children. You know, I think the, the people who, you know, it's not up to me. I don't get to decide who has kids, but it's like all these peers of mine who have had kids the last few years, I see so many good parents, and I don't don't know what goes on, you know, behind closed doors. I don't know, but what I see is good from a lot of people, and I encourage it. I encourage my peers to have children, but it is interesting how the people who don't have children are more likely to refer to their their pets as kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging people for that. I'm just not comfortable with it. And it's like, I'm not going to like, if someone says that to me, like, oh, you're you're a daddy, you're a cat daddy, or a dog daddy. It's like, I'm not going to tell them to shut it. But I, you know, there's a part of me that will never do that myself. Because I see it as, there's equality. You know, it's it's a friendship. It's companionship. And I also don't like calling myself an owner. I don't like thinking of myself as owning. I'm responsible, but I don't feel like I own this creature. But it's also, at some point, you just got to shut up because you're just, you know, like, like these are just words. You know, as much as I talk on this show about how things are just words, I'll be like, it doesn't matter whether you call it God. It doesn't matter whether you call it the soul. But it matters so much if you call yourself the owner or the parent of the dog. You know, it's like the hypocrisy, the silly hypocrisy of that, where it's like, that's important, but kind of is. I I don't, ownership implies something, 
parenthood implies something. Those are very specific. Um, so, hey, buddy, what's up? He's, I, I like the head turn. I, I, I really love the head turn where it's like something, that's something that goes along with the couch game, with the weird something living under the couch cushions game is that that, that really turns his head. He'll hear a noise and he just looks and he turns his head and he's just so focused and his head tilts. It's wonderful. You know, it's, it's wonderful to have around. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to wrap this episode up, but dog talk is probably going to be a part of this show or maybe not entire episodes. You know, this episode, it hasn't just been dog talk. You know, we've covered Tom Cruise vocabulary and, you know, we've covered some ground here beyond the dog world, but, uh, you know, I am learning a lot about dogs. And so glib dog talk. It's going to be a new podcast I do, getting glib about dogs. First-time dog owner getting glib. And if you don't use that word already, it's a good one. Look it up. Look up the definition, and then after you look up the definition, watch the video clip of Tom Cruise calling Matt Lauer glib, and you'll understand it completely, and you'll work it into your own lexicon. You'll work it in, and you'll get glib. Because the thing about learning the definition of the word glib and seeing Tom Cruise use it is you'll start talking more. You'll get glib yourself. You'll talk without thinking, because that's basically what it means. Uh, It's not the gift of gab. It's the gift of glib. Learn to be glib. But, uh, you know, also learn to live with a dog. I recommend it. As a first-time dog owner... You know, being here under lockdown with a dog has been an absolute pleasure. And you will hear Batty Barkmore on this show. You know, you will hear that, you know, and it'll be a part of the show. And I almost wish he was barking right now because it's his show. Of course, when I give an open platform, an open invitation to dog noises, you know, he's not barking. Although you did hear some of his tug-of-war growl. And it's another thing he does is uh, this is just going to be all the all the cute things he does. Uh, but when he's when he wants to rest, when he really wants to rest, it could it could be on my lap, it could be on my bed, um, it could be when he's just by himself on a blanket. It doesn't really matter where. But when he's really committed to resting and sleeping, if you pet him, he growls and nips, and that's funny. I like that where it's like leave me alone while I rest. You know, would you want someone just touching you? Uh, it's a difference between, you know, most cats and, and him. Because with a cat, you know, you can pet them while they're sleeping, and they'll start purring, and they'll appreciate it. Every once in a while, they might get mad. But with him, it's like when he's committed to rest, he does not let you touch him. He doesn't let you bug him. And I feel like that's a good approach. I feel like we could all learn from that, you know, because we all have so many people when we're trying to rest, they're just, like, touching us and, like, rubbing our heads and our backs and our stomachs that uh, we could all learn from that. Uh, we could all learn from dogs, you know, as, as everybody who's ever owned a dog has said. And here I am, one of them. This land is mine God gave this land to
to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see 